We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to the podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. I want to remind all of our listeners that the situation around COVID-19 is rapidly evolving. So anything that we say here today may change over the next few days to even weeks and months. So just a reminder to keep that in mind. My guest today is Dr. Moin Sala, a sports medicine physician at Providence Medical Institute in the South Bay of Los Angeles, where he practices urgent care and sports medicine. Dr. Sala earned his undergraduate degree from UCLA, where he was a Division I track athlete. He received his medical degree from Ross University and completed his family medicine residency training at Kaiser Permanente Woodland Hills. Dr. Sala completed a sports medicine fellowship at the West Coast Sports Medicine Foundation through Harbor UCLA Medical Center and Kaiser Permanente. In addition, Dr. Sala completed an MBA in healthcare administration from the University of Massachusetts. Dr. Sala has a busy sports medicine schedule, including serving as the lead physician of the Los Angeles Wildcats of the XFL, the Mountain Dew Action Sports Tour, and the USA Olympic BMX team. In addition, Dr. Sala gives his time to the local community as the team doctor for Sarah High School, as well as other local high schools and colleges. Moin, thank you for joining me on this podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience about yourself? You know, Ted, thank you so much for having me on. It's, you know, it's great to be here. Uh, I, I'm glad that we're talking about this. I think this is such a pertinent topic these days. I think this has affected all of us. So I really look forward to talking more about maybe the unique aspects of sports medicine in relation to this uh, virus. Yes, absolutely. That's my hope for today's episode, that we can talk about sports medicine and COVID-19, how this might affect our immune systems and our ability to exercise the approach from professional sports. And so if it's all right with you, we'll just go ahead and start the conversation and, and dive into some questions. Sounds great. Awesome. So Moyne, sports medicine can take a lot of different forms and be practiced in many different settings. Can you tell our audience a bit about sports medicine and about what sports medicine physicians might do in their clinical practice? So traditionally, the uh, field of sports medicine was thought of as just orthopedic surgery. Uh, but over the last 10 years, it's rapidly expanded. Now, when you hear of a sports medicine, uh, you hear about doctors like myself that are non-surgical sports medicine doctors. You hear of the orthopedic surgeons. You hear of physical therapists, athletic trainers, chiropractors, and a myriad of other types of specialists. So it's really a, a, a team approach of multi-disciplines that encompass sports medicine. I trained in non-surgical sports medicine, which comprises 90 plus percent of all musculoskeletal conditions. So if you have an ankle sprain, a knee sprain, I'm the guy you would see. If you had a concussion or you're dealing with arthritis pain, those are conditions that I treat and evaluate in my clinic. 
If it's something that we work up and it turns out to be surgical, I can refer it to my orthopedic surgery colleagues. Uh, so those are the kind of things that I'm able to do from my non-surgical point of view. Outstanding. And, and what, what inspired you to pursue a career in sports medicine? Well, I've always loved sports, uh, whether it was playing, watching, writing about them. At UCLA as an undergraduate, uh, I was pre-medicine. I was a sports reporter for our school newspaper, The Daily Bruin, and I walked onto the uh, track and field team there. So I had a, a lot of interests that kind of centered around sports. And at that time, I thought I kind of had to choose one route. Um, after UCLA, I went on to become a professional sports reporter, um, but I still missed the medicine aspect of it. So I made the change and went to medical school and subsequently residency in the sports medicine fellowship. And in the end, I was able to combine my loves of sports and medicine into a career. And that's where I am today. That's really quite an ideal situation when you can take passions in medicine and a passion for sports and combine them into a career. And for anybody who knows Moyne through social media or personally, I think we can all attest to his love of sports. I, I see a lot of photos of him showing his children how to ski and snowboard and taking them to Laker games. He's a passionate Laker fan and on the sidelines of XFL and, you know, X, game, X games type of sports, extreme sports. Uh, so the, the passion is real. Moyne, can you tell us about your clinical practice and what that actually looks like on a day-to-day -day basis, as well as what your involvement with professional sports looks like? Yes. So I currently practice 50% uh, non-surgical sports medicine. So about two days a week, I'm, I'm seeing patients for their ankle sprains and knee sprains, their arthritis pain, if they had a concussion. Um, and then the other 50% of the time, or about two days, I do urgent care, which is you know general medicine, but a lot of acute conditions. So if you've got a cough or cold, if you hurt yourself. So I end up doing a lot of procedures in there. You know, If you cut yourself, I'll do a repair of that, so a suture repair. Um, if you get an infection, I can treat that. If you fracture something or dislocate something, I'm able to handle those things and get you to the next step. Uh, so it, it, it's able to kind of use my whole medical knowledge and skill set across that whole paradigm. In terms of my involvement with sports, you've kind of touched on it already, but I've been blessed to work with some incredible athletes and teams since I finished my fellowship about nine years ago. You know, I worked as the head physician for the Mountain Dew Action Sports Tour. And with that, I've covered lots of snowboarding, skiing, skateboarding, so winter and summer sports. Um, I've treated Sean White, Chloe Kim, many others on those levels. In, in other ways, I've worked as one of the main doctors for the uh, Ironman World Championships uh, in Kona, Hawaii every year. And I think one of the most unique things I've been able to do is work as uh, one of the head team docs for the USA Olympic BMX team. So in 2008, that became an Olympic sport, BMX Supercross, both uh, men and women. And during that time, I've been able to travel to over 20 different countries with the team. You know, in addition to that, I've covered them at the Pan American Games. I've been one of the head doctors of the Rio Paralympics. And lastly, and most recently, I've been the head team physician for the uh, XFL's LA Wildcats. That's got to be a really interesting experience to be on the sidelines of, you know, that's actually a lot of different types of sports, to, but to be that close to it and then be involved in the evaluation of those athletes. 
It's been an incredible experience. Uh, you really have to be comfortable with yourself and working within a team. You have to communicate well. And I think having that family medicine background prior to sports medicine really sets me apart because I'm able to really treat the whole person. So if they have a head injury, if they're sick, you know, I'm not just necessarily looking at their ankle or knee, but I can look at all of them and hopefully help them out. Yeah, it's really whole person care then and not just uh, an isolated joint or bone, right? Definitely. You know, the, the athlete's more than just that ankle or knee. And uh, if I address the ankle and knee and I don't address uh, any other issues or even psychologic stress issues, they're probably not going to perform as well as they should. Yep, you're absolutely right. So I'm curious to dive into some questions kind of about exercise and, and the immune system. Since we're talking about COVID-19, clearly there's an immune system involved in trying to fight that infection. Can you tell us how exercise affects the immune system? So in general, exercise strengthens the immune system. You know, studies have shown that like mild to moderate exercise, like taking a 30-minute walk several times a week or lifting weights. Um, you know, causes benefits like reducing stress hormone release. It's been shown to lower like an inflammatory response of the body. Uh, sometimes just the physical activity alone can help kind of clear your airway and flush out bacteria from your airway like phlegm. Longer term exercise in this line, you know, lowers the risks of chronic conditions like diabetes and hypertension. There is a little uh, caveat to this though, that, you know, if you do intense prolonged exercise, so you know, let's say that you're running a marathon a day, that can actually cause the opposite effect. It can weaken your immune system um, and make you a little more susceptible to an infection. But that tends to be on the on the rare side. It's more if you can hit that mild to moderate exercise, uh, you're going to be in a good place in terms of your immune system. Great. And it sounds like I was hearing a little bit of a plug in there for regular daily moderate exercise as a way to help minimize the risk of chronic conditions like diabetes and heart disease and lung disease, these things that we're seeing with COVID-19 that, that makes somebody a much higher risk in terms of getting a serious infection. Is that right? That's uh, definitely true. You know, as you said, the COVID-19 has really been affecting those over 65, 70 year, years old and those with a lot of chronic medical conditions like diabetes and hypertension. And if you can either keep those in control or avoid those altogether, you have a better chance of ideally having a milder course of COVID-19, not having all the complications, and ideally, you know, being spared from it and other colds and flus throughout, throughout the years. And this is the whole person holistic approach to primary care sports medicine that I think makes it so powerful. The next question I have for you, Moyne, is should a person exercise if they're feeling ill or even if they test positive for COVID-19? So in general, you know, exercise is a great healthy habit. But if you're ill, it depends on your symptoms. It may exercise may not be a good choice. If you have mild cold symptoms like a runny nose, some stuffiness or congestion, it's probably fine to do your mild to moderate level activity. But if you have a fever, if you have a cough with phlegm, if you have stomach upset like diarrhea, if you've got flu-like symptoms with body aches, it's probably best to hold off exercise. Now, specifically with COVID-19, if you don't have any symptoms and you don't know if you have it yet, 
you can go ahead and do mild to moderate exercise, but you know, in these days we got to maintain that safe social distancing. So whether it's running, but making sure you have a gap, biking, using your Peloton, one of those ways, that's fine. Now, if you have tested positive for COVID-19 or if they presume you have it, I believe it's best to rest, hydrate, stay away from others. You know, it it's important to still be mentally fit. So walking around your house, doing some yoga, meditation, stretching, totally fine. But because COVID-19 can cause fevers, cough, and shortness of breath, and it's extremely contagious, you want to be very light with what you do and stay at home. Okay, great advice. So we heard on other episodes of this podcast that COVID-19 is primarily spread through respiratory secretions from the nose and from the mouth and from when people cough and sneeze, and that it likely is also being spread through the fecal oral route, so essentially in stool. What do we know about whether COVID-19 virus can be spread through sweat? So that's a great question. Um, I was actually reading up some studies from several days ago about this. And the the latest study I saw says that COVID-19 virus does not spread through sweat. But the big caveat to that is, you know, where we sweat, whether it's in a gym or at our school, we're probably breathing very hard. We're spreading those respiratory droplets. If we cough or sneeze, we're spreading them even more. So that's why there's been a big push to close all these gyms up. Not because that you're sweating and your sweat may touch someone. But if you cough, sneeze, you're breathing heavily, you wipe your mouth, you cover your mouth, and you touch that next piece of equipment, the virus can stay alive. You know, the virus, they say, can stay alive in the air for several hours. They say that it can stay alive on plastic or steel for two to three days, potentially. So even though this virus does not spread through sweat, we still need to be very cautious uh, when we work out where we work out, uh, those kind of environments. Right. Okay, good. Um, So what are you telling the athletes you work with about COVID-19? So this is unique in that COVID-19 hit in the middle of my XFL season. So um, our LA Wildcats of the XFL are one of eight teams throughout the country participating in a 10-week season. And we finished our fourth game of the season at home about two weeks ago. And in the span of the next week, we went from playing a game in Seattle, Washington, where one of the biggest outbreaks is. We were planning to play that game fully, normally in front of fans. And several days later, it went to playing in front of no crowd as one of the the first major sporting events to do that. And then it went to postponing games, and then it went to canceling the season. And during that time, there was lots of discussion between myself our athletic trainers and training staff and the athletes about what can we do? You know, I think it's simple stuff initially that all of us should be doing, you know, washing our hands frequently, covering our mouths, staying home if we're sick. Uh, Now, for me, it was really educating these athletes um, about how that virus is transmitted. So, you know, coughing, sneezing, touching, how they can combat the spread of it. And Another step we did was checking the athlete's body temperature daily to make sure they didn't have a fever because that is one of the concerns. Now, we've realized now that a lot of people are getting COVID-19 and not having a fever. 
they're asymptomatic or very minimal symptoms without a fever, but they seem to be potentially contagious just as much. But we were trying to figure out a way to to screen potentially in these instances. Now, during that week where... Science, science, science! Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. So much change in such a short amount of time. We went from regular practice to no contact practice to um, kind of being separated during cardio and weights and washing your hands frequently in between to the season being canceled. That's a big, that's a big jump, isn't it? It's a huge jump. And, you know, it all seems to have kind of stemmed from the NBA. Um, you know, all professional sports leagues and the NCAA we're heading down a path of playing their games or March Madness in front of no fans, but continuing the sport. But the the big thing that happened was when the Utah Jazz were about to play the Oklahoma City Thunder in the middle of the week. And that day, the Utah Jazz Center, Rudy Gobert, came down with flu-like symptoms, or he was dealing with flu-like symptoms and recovering. So he had kind of a fever, runny nose, congestion. And, you know, out of an abundance of caution, they checked him for COVID-19 with a, a nasal swab. So it goes in your nose and goes in your mouth. And those results that they got, luckily, they came back within about six hours. They got the results about 15 minutes before tip off. And this primary care sports medicine doc got the results and ran out to the court before the ball was tipped. The game was about to start. And it turned out that they, po- they delayed the game and then postponed it. And then the NBA, as soon as his positive result, Rudy Gobert's positive result came out, they canceled the, or postponed the season indefinitely within minutes. And that kind of created a cascading effect to all the other leagues, including the NCAA, the XFL, and that led us to where we are today. Once one athlete could actually have it, how do we know that other athletes don't have it? Right. And I think that kind of also drove the realization that in the stands, you're bringing together 10,000, 20,000 people in close quarters where they're touching the same armrests and seats and and helped move it also along the the path from playing without fans to just kind of shutting everything down, right? Definitely, uh, you know, the fans being close to each other, that's just like the social distancing recommendations we've been given. Uh, there's no real way to keep that kind of distance from each other. Getting a high five from NBA player or someone else on the sideline getting an autograph. Uh, those are simple enough ways to transmit the virus as well directly from the athlete to the fan or vice versa. So um, really minimizing that type of contact. And the only way is to unfortunately cancel those kind of events. Right, right. 
So Moin, you and I, I think both take our athletics pretty seriously and try to stay in shape and, and pursue our, our, our own passions for sports. And we have primary care physicians and, and go see them when we get sick. What do professional athletes do when they get ill? So when professional athletes get ill, they usually go to their athletic trainer and then their sports medicine doctor that's affiliated with the team. You know, we'll do a quick overview of them, see what kind of symptoms they've been having. You know, are they having a fever? Um, If they're having a fever, usually it's not recommended to play. Uh, If you're having just common cold, so a runny nose, a little scratchy throat, we'll give them the same over-the-counter medications that you or I will take. Uh, So they may get a sore throat lozenge. They may get some Claritin. And during those times, we we tell them, okay, you're going to have some rest. You're going to hydrate up. Maybe we take you out of practice and really save your energy, their remaining energy for the game. Now, if the athlete looks sicker, or if we're talking about COVID-19, then all those bets are off. And that athlete has to be closely monitored, further evaluated. You know, they may need um, prescription medication. They may need blood work. So a host of other things. So if they just have the common cold, they can probably play. Um, if they've got a fever, we'll usually hold them out. And if it's anything beyond that, and in the, in the uh, COVID-19, very contagious realm, then they definitely won't be playing. Got it. And then when you say you're evaluating the players, are you doing that at the sports arena, at the practice facility, in a regular medical office? What what does that look like for our audience to know? So that's a great question. It'd actually be all of those venues. So if we take the XFL, for example, uh, they play their games on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, If the athlete were to get sick on a Monday, Tuesday, something like that, I may have them come by the my medical clinic. So I can evaluate them further. I could do blood work. I could do a swab to check for flu or strep throat. Easy stuff that I could then get answers to within minutes and be able to treat them. I would go once or twice a week to their practices and see any athletes that the training staff had kind of updated me on or just to follow up on them. And then pregame and even during the game, I could check them out in the training room in inside the stadium during the game on the sidelines, and they have the little medical tent behind the sideline as well. So if we need a little privacy, we could do that. Or if it's halftime or post-game, back in the training room. So kind of all of those things. And that's really where the communication between myself, the athletic training staff, the coaches, and the athletes and gaining their trust so that they know, hey, my whole goal is so that they perform at 100% or as close to it as possible. I'm not trying to keep them out of the game. I want them to play and I want them to be healthy and perform as well as possible. So once they see I have that commitment, they're usually very open and honest and we're able to kind of get to things earlier than later. That's a great behind the scenes look at at kind of what's happening because we all see the trainer, athletic trainer run out on the field when there's an injury, but then there's a whole lot else happening on the sidelines as you actually do the evaluation and the concussion evaluation or check their knee out or, or what, or even take them back for x-rays, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a total team approach. So you may see something like the athletic trainer running out to get that athlete and then they cut to commercial and the rest of the scene will play out as myself or my colleagues getting involved in evaluating and treating that athlete, figuring out what our next steps are, 
luckily, you know, for XFL, we have x-ray machines in each of these stadiums we go to, and we have had to x-ray players for each game. So it's a very interesting and unique experience, but we're all on the same page trying to get that athlete healthy and safe and rule out all the bad injuries. And if we can get them back safe and healthy onto the field, even that game, we'll do it. Right, right. So I want to loop back um, to a a previous line of discussion that we were having um, where many sports organizations were talking about having the sports teams compete without a crowd present before that broader decision was made to just put the, the season on hold. What were the athletes saying about this and about the process and like kind of give us a little idea about what their opinions were? So, you know, in the mass media, we had heard one of my favorite players, LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers speak. And when the reporters posed to him that the NBA is thinking of playing in front of no fans, he said he didn't want to do that. You know, I play for the fans. And within the next day, so 24 hours later, as the seriousness of this virus played out to everyone across the USA, across the world, you know, his sentiment and those of everyone else has changed. LeBron spoke up and said, you know, it makes sense if that's in the best interest of us, our fans and our staff and everyone else, we shouldn't play in front of other people. Now in front of, you know, the XFL team, we had a very unique scenario where we were going to play in Seattle, which is the largest hotbed or initial hotbed of COVID-19 in the country, uh, coming off all the nursing home cases and unfortunate deaths. And, you know, just prior to that week of the game in Seattle starting, we had heard that one of the XFL workers at that stadium in Seattle was positive for coronavirus. And we, um, you know, we discussed it with the athletes and, uh, you know, a lot of them had concerns, but those kind of got mitigated once they said, well, let's play the game in front of no fans. Okay, we can we can manage that. We'll we fly up privately, we take a charter bus, we stay in the hotel, we wash our hands, we get to the stadium, we don't make contact except with anyone that's been on our team. We wash our hands again, get back on our bus, the plane, or we're back in LA and we're safe and sound. But that's not, you know, how it played out in the end because I think even if you did all those things, there's still a risk. And I think the organization, the XFL realized that, all the other major pro sport and college organizations realized that. And they understood that both the athletes and these teams understood that we really needed to minimize contact with anyone and that their health and the health of the fans comes first. And uh, it's kind of an odd thing to have no sports play, but it's in everyone's best interest. And it's really a matter of taking the the big picture and keeping that in mind, right? Definitely. uh, You know, this is uh, ideally just a blip in everyone's lifetime and athletic career. Obviously, it creates a kind of painful situation for that NCAA collegiate senior who is planning to have their moment of shining in March Madness that they won't have now. But, you know, there's still some optimism that the NBA, the NHL will come back in some way that they'll be able to salvage their season, that the NFL will be here soon, that we'll get past this pandemic and address it well in the next few weeks and months. Right. Yeah. I think we're all kind of hoping that we will look back on this in months to years and 
saying, well, that was a, kind of a weird, unfortunate time and, and a blip in the public health radar and not a major, major episode. Um, can you tell us how athletes are staying in shape uh, with their seasons on hold and most of the gyms being closed? So I think the athletes are kind of taking the same approach that you know you and I are, Ted, which is uh, probably utilizing their home gyms, uh, utilizing technology. So I know many of the athletes are keeping uh, in touch with the athletic trainers and myself through cell phone, through FaceTime. Um, I've seen them adjust their workouts based on you know the, our recommendations and that we're able to kind of see even their rehab. We've had a couple of our athletes have surgery in the past week, and we've been monitoring their rehab through FaceTime. I think with the advent of technology kind of permeating into exercise, you know, there are things like the Peloton bike and your treadmill and stationary bike, or you can go for a run or bike outside, you know, activities where you can still maintain that safe social distance. Um, so I think the athletes are kind of taking a, a wait and see approach. They're trying to stay in shape. Most athletes have been back at their own homes. I know some teams have been talking about trying to stick together, but you know, as we've seen with even yesterday's news about the Brooklyn Nets, uh, sometimes when you stay too close together, certain members can get infected. So Kevin Durant and three other members of that team tested positive for COVID-19. Did this happen prior to the seasons being canceled, or was this kind of a thing that they each got it from each other? you know, after the season was canceled or postponed and they've been hanging out because they're the only people that can hang out with each other. Right. And so that kind of makes me think I might know the answer to the next question that I wanted to ask you. And that is, do you know anything about whether teams are holding practices at this point or is that close proximity just too risky? And then if they are practicing, what are they doing to try to prevent transmission of the COVID-19 virus? So I think most teams have been told by their athletic trainers, their doctors, the coaching staff to kind of train on their own, but to check in daily. So that's where using FaceTime, their cell phones has been so important. I think it's, it's really important that we keep that safe social distance. And it's practically impossible in a typical practice, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, anything. You know, some teams have been trying to stay together, but I think the Brooklyn Nets serve as a good example of what happens if you sometimes do. You know, even today, the news was that the majority of the Los Angeles Lakers were swabbed and their results are pending. You know, based on the articles I read, they had the option to get checked and most of them wanted to get checked, but they've been on a 14-day quarantine in their own homes uh, while kind of awaiting if they developed any symptoms. And now some of them will have those answers sooner than later. The hope is that we can really break this virus cycle by practicing safe social distancing, by staying indoors, um, especially when you feel, feel ill. Um, and then also, I think the big you know, take-home message is, you know, look out for those who are most uh, susceptible to this. And, you know, that tends to be the elderly. So those 65 and older, so your mom and dad or your grandma, grandpa, your you know, neighbors who are elderly, uh, those that you know, have a compromised immune system. So they, maybe they are on dialysis for their kidney. Maybe they've got some bad diabetes or 
poor hypertension, their blood pressure is really high. That puts them at real risk to have some bad complications from this virus. Even though this COVID-19 is just a, quote, cold virus, um, it just seems to knock these people down. And um, we got to do everything we can to um, flatten the curve so we can really prevent everyone from getting sick at the same time. Yeah, that's a great message, Moyne, that it's not just about ourselves, but really thinking about the people around us and particularly those who are older and have a lot of chronic medical problems. This has been a really interesting discussion. Is there anything that you want to add that that I haven't asked you about? You know, I think the last thing I'd like to say is, I think we're all feeling this. We're all feeling uh, mentally, emotionally, physically drained, stressed. So I encourage all of you to exercise in your own way, uh, whether that's through meditation, through yoga, through running, whatever it takes. Uh, you need to find that outlet uh, so that hopefully we can be physically, emotionally, spiritually in a better place. Um, I believe as testing catches up that our medical system will do the best job it can with this. And if we all listen to the guidelines we've been given, uh, we're going to be in a much better place soon. That's an outstanding message, Moyne. Thank you for sharing that with, with our audience. I want to thank you for being on the podcast and for sharing your experience and your expertise and your knowledge with our audience. I, I think they're going to find this really, really useful to hear. And I also want you to make sure that you keep yourself and, and your family safe and healthy as well. Thank you, Ted. Uh, the same to you as well and to all the listeners out there. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant, but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.